0: James 4, 13 through 17, here, for this is the word of the Lord. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word this morning. One of the greatest tragedies known in modern history occurred in the waters off the coast of Newfoundland just over a hundred years ago and it was the sinking of the Titanic over 1500 people died after the sinking of the largest luxury liner that had had ever sailed at the time that is over half of the passengers leaving only 705 survivors now there is an irony behind the story And I'm not saying this in a rub it in your face type of way, but the irony is that one of the employees, not sure who, said these famous words about this massive ship. He said, Not even God could sink this ship. What a sad display of arrogance. Not only was it an arrogance in words, but they also acted on their arrogance. The owners and builders of the ship rejected the 64 lifeboats needed to accommodate the 2,000 plus people who would board the ship. Instead, they only took 20, which would save less than half Of the passengers. If only they took the extra 44 lifeboats. Their confidence was in their plans. Their confidence was in the unsinkable nature of their monstrous ship. Their confidence was in what they built with their own hands. So their confidence was ultimately in themselves. The question that comes to my mind was, did they know in the back of their minds what the right thing to do was at the moment and purposely rejected it? Did they know if the ship did sink and if they did take lifeboats, that they would save everyone on the ship? Only the Lord knows. But we have a similar problem in our passage this morning. This is a similar problem that goes on in all of us. And we see it happening in the world. And we are seeing its results before our very eyes today. James confronts us with this sort of reasoning. Here he calls on the arrogant to come and reason with him for a minute. Because there is something flawed in their reasoning. Here we see a a conflict of wills going on. Our will versus God's will. And God's will in the sense of what he calls us to do. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. And spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Here he identifies his audience as these merchant workers who uh, travel a lot. And uh, these are the same people who have been divisive in these churches. And much of it had to do with their own money, their own riches, their own gain. You see, their boast was in how much that they themselves were big shots. And you can imagine the sort of conversations they would, would have had in the midst of these congregations. In fact, according to this letter, they had much to say about everything and everyone, and it was known by their slander of others. Their boast would have been in all of the world's knowledge that they have acquired due to their own profession, which involved a lot of traveling. Their boast was in how well they get around and their riches gained and their knowledge And they depended on themselves, according to that knowledge. And all that they have gained, rather than on God. You see, their boast was somewhere else. There is a pride and self-confidence about them that believes that they are actually in control of anything. Their boast is in themselves and what they have acquired and what they think they know and who they know. See, what was important to them was them, their own self-importance. How often does our own boast come from ourselves and what we have done and acquired and what we know? And for us who are in somewhat good health or secure financially, we often rely on these things. We rely on our good health and our financial security and we often forget about God. And we forget to go to God for all of our needs because we think we no longer need anything from his hand. When really, he sustains us every day with good health and money. But how often do we forget God? But James says... Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We know so much, but man's knowledge is limited. What is man? And what is man's knowledge compared to God? Who would have thought that the Titanic would have sunk 100 plus years ago? Who would have thought this last year would have been so bad? But I know someone who does know. In fact, he foreordained it all. Who has all knowledge in himself but God. This is why Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We'll have enough trouble today that we don't even know about yet. Those who have kids know this all all too well. And even if you don't have kids, we know this all too well. How often do our own plans change at the very last minute? So he asks a piercing question to all of us. What is your life? And he compares man to a mist that appears for a little time. That, that is a little time compared to eternity and the eternality of God. And then vanishes. Man's time is limited and we have no control over it. Now, this, he is not saying that our life is meaningless. That's not what he's saying. If anything, this text proves the opposite. He's trying to say that our time is limited. As well as our knowledge. Our time is limited to do the work of God in this world. Here, he is addressing the problem of arrogance. And believing that we actually have control over time. And what is actually going to happen tomorrow. It's like someone who I know... Close to me often says, Don't leave for tomorrow what can be done today. Because we have no control over tomorrow. We have no control over yesterday. What makes us think that we have any control and when and if the sun will even shine tomorrow? We can't control these things. Isn't this the shock of mankind? What is the shock of mankind? The shock is, is when we finally figure out that we have little to no control over anything. Not even the climate. As you may know by experience. And what do we do in reaction to that shock? We become control freaks. Right? Right? finding out that we have no control over anything, we try to control everything. And in the things we are called to have control, such as ourselves, that is a fruit of the Spirit, that we have self-control, we tend to mess that up. How often do we mark up our calendars And as soon as something changes, our whole world falls apart because of the unforeseen, as if we foresaw it to begin with. And we didn't decide when we were to be born, and we can't decide when we will die. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful for all that we have, that God has given us. We think of medicine and doctors, preventative care, there's only so much that we can do to prevent death. And the problem often is our sinful nature is always trying to set ourselves up as God on the throne over our own lives instead of submitting to God and His will. So he says, instead of proclaiming all of your plans, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now here, he's not giving a a lesson in speech etiquette. He's not telling us how we should speak. I, I know I've been around church circles and I'll say, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. And it's like someone corrects me and says, Lord willing, if the Lord wills. He's not trying to correct how you speak. Here it is a heart issue. It's really about what we boast about, right? It's about what we rely on, what we depend on for life, for tomorrow. Who do we depend on? Do we rely on our own plans, our own cunning? Or do we have confidence in God? Do we rely on His will to give us life Because here, making plans is not the problem in this text. Making a profit from business is not the problem. Making money is not the problem. Actually, we are told in other places of Scripture that it is wise to plan ahead. He he says, uh, as the Scripture says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Some of you here may be familiar with this concept. It is good to plan ahead, it is wise to save up for hard times. It's not the sort of thinking that is uh, flippant toward life or to have no concern for the future. Oh, God will provide, so I will do nothing and make no plans whatsoever to work or do anything. Right? I'll live on a whim and go as the breeze blows because I trust in God. Uh, Unfortunately, that is how faith is often described in many evangelical circles. That we live on this whim and go as the breeze blows and not care about what happens tomorrow. But scripture also teaches that we don't jump off of cliffs and test God, do we? Oh, he'll catch me, I'll just jump off of this cliff here. Well, actually, that's how Satan tempted Jesus, wasn't it? He? So here, James is not speaking about living a flippant lifestyle. The problem he is addressing is the root problem of Godlessness. Godlessness and the arrogance and the desire to be independent of God. As if we can never truly be independent of God. And this has been going on since Adam and Eve, since Adam and Eve was banished from the Garden of Eden. And then after them, Cain, after killing Abel, he was banished from their presence. And ever since then, man has been running away from God. And doing what? Setting up his own plans. Building his own city. This is what Augustine calls the city of man. Man has been rebelling against God and the arrogance to think, let us build our own city without God. Without any consideration for God. If you look around, we see the rotten fruits of it, don't we? We see the rotten fruits of trying to build anything without God. And I'm not talking about Christianizing society, as many have tried over the centuries. I'm talking about living according to God's Word, according to His law. We look around and we see how many people forget God. And God warns us. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go go late to rest. Why? Because you have refused the Lord as your portion. You don't consider the Lord in His ways. You don't give thanks to the Lord. Paul says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Here we see the arrogant planning of man without any consideration of God and His will, without any thanks, just like the rich man whose land produced plenty, And he tore down his old barns and built new larger barns and rested in what he had accomplished and what his hands had made with no consideration for God. He was looking forward to the day of retirement and rest but here's the stipulation, without God. Here... It is speaking about self-reliance without giving thanks to God. It is to be self-centered, arrogant, prideful. It is boasting in arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Because there is no humility and no thanks given to God. There is the lack of a heart of thanksgiving and a simple thank you would suffice. Our thanksgiving, have we ever heard? Our thanksgiving glorifies God. But God said to the rich man, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And all along the way, he was rich in this world, but never rich toward God. But God in that situation had the final say, And God still has the final say in what we will do and where we will end up. We can make all the plans we want. But if God so chooses, he can divert those plans. Because God has the ultimate control. So we ought to consider our own time on this earth. And not only that our knowledge is limited, but our time is limited as well. And how there is only one who not only knows all things, but only one who is all-powerful and sovereign over time and what happens in time. Actually, he has ultimate control over our entire lives. He got the whole world in his hands, as the old famous spiritual says. We're all in his hands. If the Lord wills, we will live And do this or that. We will plan. We will seek medicine. When needed. We will go to the doctors. We will work and provide for our families. As we are called to. Because the same God who put brains in the doctors. To prescribe medicine. Is the same God who has all our plans in his hands. And he can change them in a millisecond. All things are governed to their end by His sovereignty and guided by His providence. So consider the little power and knowledge that man has and contrast this with the vast, the great, the unending, the eternal power and knowledge of God. How little we ought to become in light of that. And we need to learn not to boast in our own faith, but to boast in the God of our faith. And this should not cause more stress or anxiety. Actually, this is a call to trust God and His gracious will and ask ourselves the question when we consider God, do we think He is like man? Do we think that he will lose control the moment that we lose control? When all of the answers to our problems hit a roadblock or a dead end, do we believe that he will be at a loss of words? Do we think he will run out of solutions? Are His plans going to fail? No. They're not. So we are not to rely on our own cunning, our own planning. But to rely humbly on the God of life. For He is the one who gives us life each day to be busy at work and to make plans. And He is the one who gives us not only this life, which we ought to be grateful for. Which we ought to praise God for. But he gives eternal life to rest in. With Christ as well. By his grace. God's greatest act of providence. Was found in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which he knew would happen. Which he foreordained to happen. If it did not happen. If Christ did not say, not my will, but as you will. If he didn't go to the cross, there would be no salvation for you or me as sinners. We are to trust in God's providence. For he will not fail. And his plans will not fail. Imagine if uh, if God left man to his own planning and cunning man would be damned. We would be condemned. But through the foolishness of the cross, he saves man. He saves us. And this ought to be our boast. Rather than our boasting in our own plans that we have made, we ought to boast in the Lord. Depend on the Lord. Boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it did not fail. His plans never fail. His promises will never fail us. Now just because the Lord has all things in his hands. It doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing. Rather while we are still in this world. It is his will we ought to seek to do. Now as I said there is a conflict of wills here. And there is probably a conflict going on in your mind as well. Since God is sovereign over all things and everything that he wills will come to pass. We must make a distinction here. And this is where James takes a turn. He moves from God's decretive will. God's will as he decrees like the sun rising this morning. He decreed it to happen and it will happen. And everything that happens in our lives will happen in our lives. He takes a turn to distinguish between that will and his perceptive will. That which he prescribes us to do. Which we often fail to do on a daily basis. Here he calls out their arrogance. And now he reminds them about the seriousness of being doers of God's will. Instead of boasting in themselves and slandering others, becoming judges of the law... They are to be doers of the law. Not to go with the flow. Not to follow the culture around them. Not affirming the culture around them. And their works of darkness. There was an old movie that I grew up watching. I don't recommend you watching it. uh, But it's called Do the Right Thing. At the end of the day, doing the right thing in that movie was burning down a pizza place. Which... And They got mad at the owner or something like that. No, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. It is found in His law. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, and we know the right thing to do, it is found in Scripture, it is found in His law. It says, if he fails to do it, for him it is sin. You see, Sin is not just what we do wrong. But sin is also knowing the right thing to do within the circumstances that we are in on the day that the Lord has given us to do it. And if we fail to do it, it is sin. Here in this context, in the context of this passage, the right thing to do would have been considering our God acknowledging our God, giving thanks to Him for the day that He has given us. The right thing to do for our context could be lending a helping hand to our neighbor when we see He's in need, or to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation. See, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were so enthralled in their legalism, their self-confidence, their spiritual pride, that on the Sabbath they couldn't even help someone in need for the sake of their own made-up traditions. They even recommended that someone dishonor their parents by giving money to God. Which means giving money to them. For them it was sin. See, in the New Testament, we are not called to boast in our works, but to do our works. All under the guidance and provision of Christ. Remember, Christ upholds the universe by the word of His power, and He governs where we are, where we are going, what we are to do, and what we are to become. He presents us with a good will to do if we fail to do it. It is sin. Jesus warned. And that servant who knew his master's will. But did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And he said and he says to the goats on the left. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And for them them it was sin. We see God's goodness and sovereign grace in our lives. In how he has allowed us to live another day. And our lives each day pass by as a mist. So what we do with our time is of utmost importance. So let us plan accordingly. And there is much to do for the Christian. There is much to do. There's no cookie cutter way to, to put it as far as our work We have the work here of the church, but there is also work in the world that we are to do. And there's no guarantee that our work is going to transform the world. But the Lord calls us to do it. And there's no formula to this work. If you do this, this is going to happen. There's no guarantee. But the Lord calls us to work. James is speaking to a group of believers who ought to know the right thing to do. Yet like us, they find themselves in arrogance about worldly accomplishments. But the right thing to do is not boasting in our self-confidence and self-sufficiency. But is giving all of our dependence upon the Lord. Boasting in the Lord, seeking His will to do. And if we fail to consider our Lord each day and His will in our daily walk, it is sin. Let us not fool ourselves. It is sin. If this message this morning hits home for you today, if you're feeling discouraged, as you realize all that you have left undone, the sins of omission, and they're plain to you, I would remind you that we have a mediator, an advocate who died on the cross for all sin. He was treated as if He committed all of our sins so that we can stand in God's presence fully acquitted and fully forgiven. And from that freedom, He causes us to walk In his ways. As it says for our sake. He made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in him. We might become. The righteousness of God. Amen. Let us pray.